It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hi, this is Larry Dettilio, writer for He-Man and Beast Wars, and you are listening to the GeekCast Radio Network. Hello and welcome to the GeekCast Radio Network. This will be an interview featured on TuneCast and the Beast Unleashed podcast. I'm your host, TFG1 Mike, and joining me is Michael Wilson. Hello, sir. Hey, how's it going? It's going. Today we are here with the man who is responsible for writing on shows like He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, Hypernauts, Babylon 5, and Beast Wars. Here's Larry Dottilio. Hello, sir. Hi, Mike. I'm Michael. <laughs> How are you? Oh, I'm good. Good. Very good. Very good. Um, it's a real pleasure to talk to you because you, you have no idea. I, well, I grew up on He-Man, and it was just amazing. So did I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you created the stories. We watched them. That was pretty amazing, yes. Yes. Um, so getting a little background information on you, where did you grow up, sir? Uh, I grew up in New York City, mm -hmm. the old country. 
uh, Queens, Ozone Park, right behind Aqueduct Rush Track. Um, and I over uh, after college, I went to NYU, and then I came out to Los Angeles, where I live now, uh, to go to uh, UCLA graduate school. Uh, and I wanted to be uh, a film. I wanted to be a film writer. Uh, and uh, that, that seemed it seemed logical to come out to uh, Hollywood if I wanted to be a film writer. So um, I uh, I got my master's at UCLA, and then I went you know pounding the pavement looking for a job. So what was it, Larry, that got you interested in writing? You said you moved out to Hollywood to to become a film and television writer. What was it you know that really got you into writing? Um, I just, I like to be the guy behind, I like to be the guy in control. <laughs> and the writer is the guy in control. Um, the story is everything. Uh, even even if you're working on a toy show, the uh, story is everything. Uh, so sometimes they don't realize that, so that's where arguments get, get fought out. But I'm more than happy to fight those arguments, because uh, writing, it's, it's a... Uh, it's a sacred thing, writing. You, you have to uh, dedicate yourself to it, and you know you never get any sun. You sit in your house all day. You get hemorrhoids. You know you do it for thirty years, and you know <laughs> you're, you're sitting ten feet higher than you used to. Um, but uh, yeah, I I, I liked uh, everything that was on. So I was born in 1948, so Saturday mornings were not a lot of cartoons. There were a lot of westerns, stuff like Sky King and and my friend Flicka and Lassie and all those um, kids uh, drama, you know, half hour dramas for kids. Really, um, they were interesting. Uh, I had never planned to go into cartoons uh, at all. Uh, that, that, that never even crossed my mind. I was a comic book fan. Um, I liked comics when I was a kid and, and uh, superheroes and that kind of stuff. You know, the usual stuff, Superman, Batman, uh, even Captain Marvel <laughs> was being printed when I was a kid. Um, so um, I said, I want to do this, you know. Uh, I want to I write, and I, I want to write for this, this, this medium that moves, this action medium. Uh, I'm not that that interested in writing prose, although I've, I've kind of changed on that over the years. Um, but TV and movies was was what I liked, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a movie writer, um, and I started as a movie writer, and then later got moved into television because <laughs> my movie career wasn't going anywhere. Um, and then after about 13 years <laughs> of of pounding the pavement, um, I got a shot on uh, on He-Man. Uh, through Michael Halpern. Um, if you're a He-Man fan, you should know that name. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He uh, he did the original Bible for for it, and him and he he were we were friends in the Writers Guild. Uh, uh, I did I did join the Writers Guild in 1971. <laughs> yeah, it was 1971. And uh, that's I, I did this feature called the Madman Movie Makers which was kind of a spoof of porno movies. Um, and that got me in, and it was it was for a, basically a mafia-based company. <laughs> and it had nothing to do with me being Italian. They just, uh, my, my agent said, hey, they want you to write this movie. And I said, well, yeah, I'd love to write a movie. And it was a comedy, and uh, it came out, and it, it got some viewing because it played with uh, the, the first incarnation of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was on a double bill. That's when they used to have double bills as well. Uh, so it, a lot of them, my family had to go see it and then sit through. 
a chainsaw massacre. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Uh, uh, it didn't go much of any place, but it, it uh, did get me into the writer's guild, and that was what started my career. Um, then, in uh, the after the first movie came out, it didn't do. It wasn't great shakes. Uh, so, uh, I, in a couple of years, I, I hopped around trying to sell things to um, mainly comedy. I wanted to be a comedy writer. Stuff like uh, the Odd Couple was going on then. Um, and I, I was pitching to those people. Uh, and I did get a shot on, um, what was the show? Hmm. It was the odd couple. That's what it was. That's right. Uh, through Jerry Belson and Gary Marshall. Um, and Gary Marshall, uh, brought me in the office after I, I, uh, I, I did the script, uh, kind of a spec script for him, which I wasn't supposed to do because I was in the writer's guild. But, um, he, he called me in and he said, listen, kid, he said, there's two kinds of funny. He says, there's funny zany and there's funny weird. He says, we're funny zany and you're funny weird. And that kind of, <laughs> that kind of got me out of comedy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of thank Gary Marshall. I still would love to write a comedy show, but I just never got the chance. And I got I got kind of more uh, to be a dramatic writer, and, and then I got into cartoons uh, through Michael. And I got through that. I got to that because Michael's sons played D and D, which I did as well. Um, I was considerably older than them at the time, but I had been a. a um, article for the dragon which was a dnd uh, magazine right, right. Uh, actually it wasn't a, it wasn't an article it was a dungeon so you know it, it actually was kind of like doing a movie the dungeons were kind of like doing movies um and he said hey i didn't know you wrote sword and sorcery he called me up and said larry you write sword and sorcery i said well yeah i do <laughs> and he said well you gotta you gotta come in here because uh, you know they're doing he-man at filmation and they need plenty of writers and go in there and speak to Arthur Nadell, who's the, who's the producer, and, uh, you know, see what you can come up with. So I said, thank you, Mike, and I, I made an appointment with Arthur, and I showed him. I had a few credits at that time. One was the movie, and the others were little little, little bitty religious shows. I worked on a religious show <laughs> at one point. Really? Uh, uh, yeah, it was a, one of the, you know, the Sunday shows that uh, was a Lutheran, and two Lutheran ministers were the producers. Um, and uh, I did a um, that was during the Vietnam era and I did this This uh, it was actually after the war uh, had finished but I did a thing about a Vietnam vet coming back who saved this uh, uh, junkie's life um, uh, a wino that saved the junkie's life <laughs> it was uh, they were pretty nice about that <laughs> and, and they said except one character has to be the voice of God I said, take your pick, junkie or wino. I'll go. I'll go either way. You know, that was kind of, it was kind of a strange story, and it, it actually, uh, I don't think it ever actually got on the air, but it did, it was my first live action piece, and I started, you know, I started being sent on more on more live action for that. But um, you know, that this was well before He Man uh, right. happened. So I went right. to see Arthur Nadell, and he was he was for some reason impressed by. Some, well, actually, I had done a biography of Napoleon and Hitler, so I, I suppose that, and I did that in a half an hour. So that was, uh, <laughs> that was, I guess, that showed that I could, you know, I could, I could write 
uh, you know, briefly and still get a lot of information in there. Uh, I work for a show called um, Against the Odds, which was uh, hosted by Bill Bixby. It was biographies for kids. And I came... Um, I became their, their, what they call their warrior writer. Every, every bloodthirsty dictator that, <laughs> that went through history, I got this assignment on after writing Hitler and Napoleon. Huh. Um, and that's, that's how we got started in the business, actually. Nice. Well, that, that's, uh, that kind of starts you off, but what are you uh, doing recently? Uh, we looked on uh, IMDb for research, but uh, we didn't see much for you for the last uh, couple no, of years. There's not, no, there's not much. You know, no, because I got old. <laughs> and when you get them, when they get old, they don't they don't want you anymore. Uh, oh, really? Really, really. Unless you're really, really grandfathered in there. Like, nobody's calling me up saying, hey, would you like to write this? Would you like to write that? Unless it's some old friend of mine. Um Seriously, I'm not much looking for work, and that's why I haven't done anything in five years. Usually, if I'm looking for work, I'll go get it. You know. Um, now I'm thinking of writing a book. Uh, that's that's uh, you know the saga of my my family and my life. I guess I guess I guess that's a that's an old age thing with writers. You know, you get all these. Oh, maybe I should write about myself and my family. Like a memoirs or an autobiography or something. Yeah. Something along that line, you know. My, there was there's some interesting stories about my family and, and stuff, and my wife's family, and, and you know, that's and uh, books. Uh, I I was never really, you know, I I love reading books, but uh, I was never really big on writing them. Um, mm. I do prefer the moving arts. Um, that's why I never tried to write for comic books. So I know how to do it, but I never wanted to do it. Um, there's something about. It destroying your whole love of <laughs> of things. If you work on the inside of things, you know you start to get very cynical about it. When before, you know, when you when you're a kid, you're like, oh wow, this is really great. I'm working on He-Man over here, you know. And then you know, a couple of years later, you can't get arrested. <laughs> but uh, you know, that's that's you know, that's that's the way it works. And IMDb is they're not. There's a lot of things that they that they don't have on there, and there's some stuff that they credit me with that I never did. So that's I would I, I wouldn't trust IMDb. Um, um, I thought yeah. I'd go over there and just you know give them the information. Um, I do have about 150 credits, and some of the stuff I worked on was uh, um, you know Babylon Five. I was yeah. I, I was story editor and executive story editor of that for two years. Um, well, the uh, the IMDb could, is kind of like the like a Wikipedia in that anybody can go on there and, and enter information in. It wouldn't necessarily be you, so it, it helps yeah. to uh, you know keep on keep on top of those. Yeah, I, I, for maybe one day I'd go to Wikipedia and rewrite the, the very slim article they have. I mean. <laughs> You know, or four. I mean, it's really, it's it's nothing that nothing that interests me right now. I might do it one of these days. Uh, there's a lot of people who are interested in you. In the golden age of uh, kids' cartoons, I worked for CBS mainly. Judy Price liked me for some reason. She was the head of CBS at the time. Uh, I worked on Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. If you remember that. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I worked on several low points in cartoon history, <laughs> and that was a low point because it was a show full of wrestlers, and they said, oh, but you can't have them wrestling because that's too violent. <laughs> really? Said, well, then what, what, what do we do with them? <laughs> that's funny. 
I said, they can't wrestle like, you know, <laughs> there's not much a whole lot we can do with Hulk Hogan and the Iron Sheik, you know. So um, that, and uh, then I worked on Galaxy High School. I was also the, I don't know if you remember that show, which actually should have been a bigger show than it was. Uh, I, that was it. I don't recall that one. Yeah, it's, it was a, you know, Earth Boy goes to a high school in outer space, you know, and meets, meets all these aliens. And it was like a, like a teen comedy set in outer space. Uh, the animation was, was terrific. And uh, it was pretty good, but it was before its time. And uh, it just it lasted a, a year. And in, 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 in like New York, it got, and, and L.A., it got good ratings. But the rest of the country just didn't see it, you know. <laughs> they just never watched it. Uh, it was a pretty good show, though. It was TMS's uh, first try at, at uh, you know, advancing Japanese animation into American culture. Uh, now, of course, we're, 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 we're in. <laughs> we're in. Yeah, it's ubiquitous yeah, now. In, we're in. Yeah. So and as we, uh, for... Uh, I just went to anime. As for uh, animated features, uh, what was your favorite show to work on? My favorite show to work on? Um, all of them. <laughs> Anything I worked on. No, California Raisins was my un- most unfavorable. I did actually did two of us did the California Raisins, and uh, you know, it was horrible. <laughs> that was you know what's horrible. funny about that? A buddy of mine and I were talking about that show the other day, and you'd be surprised how little information there is of California Raisins anywhere. Even finding a clip on YouTube of it, it there's nothing. That's, you mean the cartoon show? Yeah, yeah. You can find plenty on the on the on the ads, <laughs> you know, on the ads for <laughs> California Ravens. Uh, but Will Vinton just got he just got jobbed by uh, Murakami Wolf. They said, "Oh well, we can do it. You know, and it'll be just as good as like uh, your claymation." And of course, it wasn't. You know, and uh, we did get all the in the music. The music was good, but the music was good before there was a cartoon show. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it was all soul. I loved soul music. So that was it was it was fun. But uh, you know, when we saw the result of it, it was like, oh my god, you know. But I. <laughs> <laughs> you know, going going from what I what I hated working on to what I, I liked working on, He-Man and Shiro were both great jobs for me, as was Beast Wars. Um, uh, oh, Conan, I wrote a couple of Conans. You remember Conan the Adventure? Yep. The Conan cartoon? That was another yep. one where you couldn't, you know, you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't kill anything. And I thought, wait a minute, this is not going to work, you know. Uh, they had the cosmic Where's the fun in that? You could send snake men into the cosmic pizza in the sky, and then they'd be gone if you touch them with your sword. I said, "Well, this is dumb." But I always liked Conan. So Conan was my was my idol when I, you know when I got into sword and sorcery and stuff. He was the first. The Robert E. Howard. I read everything he wrote. Um, but good luck trying to like adapt the Howard story, you know, for that show. Right. It's too violent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. let, let's uh, change gears over to He-Man talk about uh, okay. some of the shows you were on uh, He-Man was one of my favorite cartoons back in the day uh, you know we, we were talking mm-hmm. earlier about uh, you know people recognizing you from, from He-Man and you know when I would come home from school I watched G.I. Joe, Transformers and He-Man so it's, it's like those were formative for me. Uh, mm-hmm. How easy was it to translate your earlier sword and saucery work into uh, stories for children's toys? 
Actually, my earlier sort of sorcery work was mainly game work. I was, I was I'm a role play gamer, and I, I, I write dungeons. That's that was my main sword and sorcery. That that's that's why I wrote that article for the um, dragon, is because that's where I was writing a lot of sword and sorcery, just for for playing with my friends. So right, once well, I got well, that, to that that sword early... sorcery for, a, yeah. I didn't do anything earlier than He Man. He Man was my first cartoon show. No, oh, so I'm, I'm uh, I had no idea. Like the uh, the Gary Gygax stuff. I'm not sure how well that would translate into, uh, uh, you know, oh, but Saturday the, morning but cartoons. But the principles of role play gaming follow the principles of a TV show, of of making it um, realistic and and a fantasy at the same time. Uh, I don't know if that makes any sense, but no, it does. But, yeah. But I just took the sword and sorcery stuff I would use when, when you know playing around here with my friends and say, well, let me stick that into He-Man, you know, because it'll work. <laughs> um, my first show, The Dragon's Gift, which that was the first uh, story I sold to He-Man. Um, and that's kind of widely known as the most oddball episode of, of He-Man ever written, because He-Man loses, for one thing. <laughs> um, yeah, but that he was did. One that, that, that was the one that uh, convinced them to hire me on staff. Um, they literally said, "You know, we want to hire you on. You know, we want to hire you." While I was writing that script, <laughs> and I said, "Well, well I'm working on, on the script that I just told you." They said, "Well, you have to work on that at home because we want to hire you to work over here." <laughs> and they did. Uh, um. How did you make the move from He-Man to She-Ra? Who pulled you over to the new project? It was, there was no move on that. It's, we had done three... By that time, we had done three seasons of He-Man. Three or two. <laughs> and there were 60... But they were 65 episode seasons. Right. So, you know, that's like that's like an, almost an entire year of work. You know? Yeah. Even in, even in limited animation that was 75% stock footage, that's a lot. That's a lot of work. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So and uh, and the other thing was that, that was, it was the first time uh, working for a toy company, which is always a, a, an interesting and, and agonizing process. Um, although we had a good contract on that, so it wasn't as, as agonizing as most of the other toy shows I worked on. Right. We'll to that later, but <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, if uh, and if I ever want to get hired again by any of these people, not that I do. <laughs> Uh, but I didn't really make a move. We were finished with, with He-Man. Um, mm-hmm. It was supposed to actually... They were gearing up for like a fourth uh, year of He-Man. And, and the Horde was supposed to be the villain of that, mm-hmm. of that fourth year. Um, and that's because we had the Skeletor Syndrome hit He-Man very quickly in the first season of it, which means... Uh, every story had to start with Skeletor. It really couldn't start with He-Man, um, which is something I tried to change at the end of the first season, and fairly successfully, I, I, I might say. Um, uh, He-Man couldn't do anything until Skeletor made a move on the first, in the first season of the show, those first 65 episodes. Skeletor right. had a hatch of plot. It, it, it had to come. I said, this is not right, because our hero is not proactive. He should be going after Skeletor. <laughs> You know, not waiting for Skeletor to come to him and do something terrible to everybody at, at yeah. first. 
it was it was problematic. But Skeletor was really popular, as you know. I mean, uh, the second oh, yeah. popular guy on He-Man was Skeletor. That's that's what people told us in polls. Oh, oh yeah, I love, uh, He-Man. Like, we love He-Man, but I really love Skeletor. Too. <laughs> you know? It was that, it was coming to like Megatron and, and Optimus. You know, yep. kind of got to love them both. You know, yep. was, yeah, you got to get into both of their heads, so you got to love them both. You know, you got you to say, well, where are they coming from? You know, uh, um, it's a, it's an interesting thing. Um, but I, I didn't have to be pulled to the new. What happened was somewhere uh, in there, He Man ceased to become the number one toy in America, and if you'll remember, it was then it was replaced by Cabbage Patch Kids. Very strange, <laughs> very strange transition. Flying off the shelves, parents fighting for each yeah. Cabbage Patch Kids. But that was, again, what was going on at that time is there was a big thing about violence in cartoons and how it was making all of you, all of you people who were watching the cartoons grow up into psychotic people, you know. <laughs> I always knew the difference, though. <laughs> I, I was raised where, like, I know that that's just a cartoon. It's not real. Yes, I know. The only ones that didn't know the difference was adults. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was these adults that would get crazy and say, "Oh, this is going to make you into this. This is going to make you into that." No, it's not. We've had we've had these kind of stories for years. You know, the Bible mm. Bible itself has enough violent stories in it to make you a psychotic. So, um, it was that was just it was just an unfortunate period in history that we were doing action shows, and yet action mm. shows were the biggest thing at that point. You know. Uh, Transformers, yeah. G.I. Joe, that, and then there was uh, Thunder the Barbarian and all the others. Those, those were big. They were big shows. The kids liked them. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that's why we did them. Uh, was... we, didn't, we didn't do them right, but, you know, because we were constrained by the companies we were working for. Um, well, they, they're still the... classic nostalgia nowadays, so you guys must have done something correct. Well, what we did is we told what we what we did on He-Man and Shira was just concentrate on characters and story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the, speaking the, of characters and story, mm-hmm. how, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Speaking of characters and story, what was the process in creating the backstory for the Shira characters? Uh, I didn't. I didn't do a lot of backstory for uh, Shira. Um, now remember, we had just done like through the two episodes, two two years of sixty five episodes. So we were all kind of tired. <laughs> when they gave me Shira, I said, "Okay, it's got to be." And they said, "Let's make her He Man's sister." <laughs> I said, "Okay, we've done we've done one hundred and thirty episodes of He Man, and no one ever mentioned her sister." <laughs> so I said, "Oh, what, what? with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere." Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What are you going to do? Uh, but I wasn't pulled to it. I, you know, they said instead of doing He-Man, they were going to do Shira. Oh, she wasn't. They didn't know what she was called at the moment, at that time. And but the villains would be the Horde that were uh, tended to come in to replace, kind of replace Skeletor and He-Man. And they decided. I think Lou decided that wouldn't work, and they, maybe they should do something else. And Mattel decided that uh, why don't we do a hey, if He-Man is for boys, let's do a a female He-Man for girls. You know, and what they wanted in that was a lot of hair play. They, <laughs> they said, because that's what girls like, hair play. So everybody had long hair. <laughs> you know? And uh, a lot of, you know, I, I laugh about um, toy companies because they're very, very passionate about what they do. But what they don't understand in, from the writer's point of view is we're not writing a story for toys. We're writing a story for people. <laughs> Right. Uh, we have to treat them as people, and we have to create them as people so that they will resonate with the people who are watching them. There are not toys watching them. There are people watching them. So uh, whether they're giant robots or, hell, I even wrote for King Kong. <laughs> a giant, a, that, was kind, that was kind of the last thing I did was Kong. I don't know if you've ever seen that series. I don't think Yeah, I, I remember Kong the Animated Series. Yeah, it was a sedan series. I did one really good script on that, but I've never seen it on on TV. Um, and they don't and they don't sell box sets of Kong. I don't think it. I don't think it. Did. No. <laughs> but uh, I, I and I had awful experiences over there. Uh, but I, I won't I won't say anything more about sedan because that, that's what, my two worst experiences were both at sedan. So I'll I'll just give you the one, <laughs> which is which is Kong. But it was kind of I was working with that on with Bob Ford on that as well. Uh, hmm. uh, the thing I worked with on on Beast Wars. Um, we were all friends from Formation, by the way. Um, and that's how I got into Shira. Now, how he named originally they wanted to call her Hera um, after you know Zeus's wife. Right. And then they went and looked it up, and apparently somebody had a copyright on Hera. I don't know how that could be. <laughs> You know, but somebody had copyrighted Heron. They said, we can't use it. And I, but I was still, I said, well, wait a minute now. What, what are we going to do here? I said, I, I, I liked Hera. I said, well, what we need here is He-Man. Well, obviously, I, at one point, I suggested he, uh, Shira and the mistresses of the universe. <laughs> and they put it over the head with a fish and said, stop it. <laughs> you know, not going to be called. I remember you, I think you told that story on the oh, one of the commentaries. Yes, I've told them hundreds of times. <laughs> uh, so I know them by heart. Uh, but what I wanted was something that conveyed a godlike power um, and a and a female. And I, at the time, I just happened to be reading some uh, Egyptian. I'm big on mythology, and I was reading some Egyptian mythology. And I said, well, the Ra is the name, kind of the generic name for God in uh, Egyptian mythology. I said, I, don't know. I said, well, I don't know. And it, is, that, it sounds kind of like Hera. I said, but it's Shira, and it kind of has a musical sound to it. Now, I have to say that my niece's name is Shira, but she was not named after the show. And it's spelled differently, but it's pronounced the same. And everybody thinks that I named the show after her, especially her. <laughs> but I really didn't, because this was before she was born. <laughs> so don't don't tell her. I that. wanted to. 
I wanted to scotch that that story for my family. So if they're listening, <laughs> if they listen in, uh, you know, they'll know it's it's Shira. I, I just it just came up with you know a female god, Shira, and you know I liked the, the name. The name when the name was better than Hera, and. The problem with us, again, we couldn't use the sword. We had to just have her make it turn into ropes and stuff like that. The background on the other characters, Glimmer, Frosta, and, and the oh-so-horrible Cast of Stella, what a name that was. We just <laughs> used to call it Cast of so We're never going to call it Cast of Stella. That's too stupid. <laughs> so we just had people refer to her as Cast in the scripts. Um, and there, the biggest background was, and the biggest thing was she started out as an enemy. She started out as Adora, who who hated the the rebels, and of course this was also in the years when Star Wars uh, showed its showed its face and changed the nature of of movies forever. Um, and and of course I stole that. I as you know, geniuses borrow, right? It's good good writers just steal. <laughs> We don't borrow. We steal right at it. So I said, okay, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to make them the great rebellion. I said, we're going to call them the great, we didn't call them the great rebellion. Uh, And I said, because on, uh, on Eternia, He-Man and his group are in control. The king runs Eternia and it's just Skeletor that's giving them trouble. You know, on Etheria, it was totally changed. It was, it was a, a torn planet and it was, uh, and it was, it was magic versus science more technology really um, right. th- that made that show run I said so they got to be the underdogs they got to be trying to take back their world rather than He-Man who's just really protecting his world you know uh, right. and then you know then we had to go then I, we, I had to work out the whole thing of how do you have a sister that we never managed to mention in 130 episodes <laughs> you know, <laughs> that even his parents never said anything about you know <laughs> well it all, it all worked um, out right yeah <laughs> if you got magic to work with, you can you can work anything out. <laughs> that's, that's, right. that's the beauty of fantasy. If you have magic with, you can say this is magic, and it's just as good as saying stem cells will cure Alzheimer's. You know, as to say like, okay, uh, cast a spell, it can cure Alzheimer's. Right. <laughs> you cast a spell, it will be over, and you can think again. <laughs> so there was no pulling me to a new project or really creating a backstory. Um, and the reason for that is because uh, we were doing another sixty-five episode show and 65 episodes it's a lot we had it we got to get everything in place what i did do that that um was not much done with he-man is that we were we we learned a lot on he-man we learned a lot how to do a show like that better um and so the shira show could be better still um and and it could be for girls but there were a lot of female he-man fans as well yeah um which the same by the way goes for beast Wars. Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> we'll get into yeah. that. Um, yeah. Oh. Quick story. Uh, Bob Budiansky, who was an editor at Marvel Comics, wrote most of the backstory for the early Transformers line uh, over a Thanksgiving weekend in 1983. And and this guy uh, is still amazed at the popularity of the stuff that he wrote way back then. Uh, how do you feel about the ongoing wave of nostalgia for He Man? Ooh, got me another job on the new He Man. <laughs> so I, I love it. <laughs> if they want me to do a feature movie on He Man, then I'll be really happy about the nostalgia for He Man. Uh, I keep not, hearing rumors about that, too. Huh? I keep hearing rumors about that. 
He-Man movie. Oh, there's always rumors about a He-Man movie, but they made one and it bombed uh, terribly because it, it was badly written. Although it was it was well done production-wise, but it was just. And I was working for I was working for him as well, Gary Goddard, who directed the movie <laughs> at the time. But you didn't have anything to do with the movie. Uh, I, only that I was working for he he directed the uh, produced and directed the movie. Ah, um, yeah, the, the He-Man movie. If you they know, had just the stuck a little bit with closer. everybody's head on a pike, I said, "Wait a minute!" He obviously didn't watch the show. The writer, <laughs> I don't exactly. think he ever watched a single episode. You know, right. he he did something else. He was doing Conan, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's a great. I, I believe I Goddard had mentioned on the commentary for that Masters of the Universe DVD. He mentioned that he was a big Jack Kirby fan, and most of the characters in that movie are based off of fourth world characters, and has nothing to do with He Man whatsoever, other than putting in like Gray Skull and the sword and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there was some of it. I thought Frank Lagella was Gray Skeletor. He, oh yeah, he was. <laughs> you know, but Dolph Lundgren. I mean, it was not. He's not. You know, poor Dolph. I mean, you know, he's not the worst actor in the world, but yeah. at that time he was. Dolph with <laughs> his horrible mullet. The worst mm-hmm. actor in the world. And people forget Courtney Cox was in that movie. Yep. Oh yeah, yep. that's right. He was the teenage Jew in that movie. Yep. People also nice to have people like what you did. And so when someone tell I don't I don't scream at people who say, Oh, tell me something about He Man, you know, because I really loved it when I was a kid. I say, Great, if you loved it as a kid, you love my writing. What am I gonna say to you? You're an idiot <laughs> for loving my writing. <laughs> that would be dumb of me. You know, if you like what I wrote and uh, you know, it, it gave you uh, it gave you pleasure and you remember to to this day, you know, thank like, great, thank you. You know, that's that's uh, that doesn't say anything bad about me, especially given the animation we had on the old He Man. You know, right. where almost nothing moved. All the more moving than than their Star Trek did. <laughs> when Star Trek, you could see nothing moving <laughs> at any point in, in time. Just, just their mouth kind of moved a little. Yeah. Yeah. But the nostalgia is great for it, you know. Uh, and I don't I don't get like over the top fans anymore. They're all grown up, and you know they're they're not little kids. Yeah. But we had a lot of kids, and uh, the kid fans I always was happy to speak to. Uh, nice. And I still have He-Man fans trying to befriend me on Facebook, and and if if I can if I can take a moment for a personal ad that uh, all the people have fan and friend are both start with an F, but they're not the same thing. Yeah. I don't know you. You're not my friend, <laughs> despite the fact <laughs> you may be a fan of He-Man, but that does not make you my friend. Did <laughs> you, know? you uh, did, did you set I'm up a, a fan page? Friend you that. Huh? Some of the writers, no. I know some of the writers have fan pages and friend pages, and they will fan their fans and friend. They, they keep those two separate, I should say. Yeah, oh well, yeah, of course they do. You know, but I, I just go on Facebook to you know upload pictures that my relatives can see. You know, just going to weddings and right, right, and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I'll I'll talk to people message me over there but you know and i'll i'll usually i will i'll send one message back saying thank you you know and uh and explaining that you know if i if i let everybody that <laughs> was an e-man fan on the page i couldn't find anything on the page it would be yeah you have thousands fans. yeah you know, no i know uh, like that. like uh christy marks <laughs> has two separate ones one for fans and one for friends uh i think she calls it like christy's playhouse 
Uh, and speaking of Christy, uh, she had mentioned that she had gotten the head writer position for Gem and the Holograms because the studio wanted a woman to write for the girls' toy line. Uh, mm-hmm. What what were the considerations in putting you know a man or, or men in charge of uh, writing She-Ra? Well, for one thing, we didn't have any female writers on staff at that time. We had plenty of them who wrote for us um, as freelancers because you, you can't do 65 episodes yourself, no matter how, how great you are. Right. Uh, you, you know, and we had a lot of, like, Dorothy Fontana from Star Trek. I mean, you know, uh, she wrote, uh, she wrote the, the origin of Cringer, um, you know, which was a magnificent story. But she's, yeah. uh, Dorothy is, is, she's gold-plated stuff. Um, I, I, I like, uh, I like writing women. I, I do like writing women. I, I have a lot of, uh, experience writing. Uh, uh, I wrote a novella which I never got published, but but it was about a, a female warrior. It's a fantasy novella called Shadow of Wind Chimes. Um, never did never did get it. Uh, so I, I think it's, it's, it doesn't really matter whether you're a man or a woman. It matters whether you can write and you can kind of feel what people feel. Um, no, nobody in Mattel said, "Well, you know, we'd like a we'd like a woman writer to do it." If they had had a woman writer there, maybe she would have done it. Uh, but actually, there was just me, um, Robbie London, Roby Gorin. We only had about four or five writers. Hmm. Um, yeah, and that was it. It was there was, uh, and you know, they were going to do it. it. It's dumb to go and, and hire somebody else to be like a story editor. Like they never ever gave me a story editor thing. Although I kind of worked, I did the job of a story editor on He Man, uh, but I just I did it for my own satisfaction because I, I certainly didn't get the money that a that a, uh, a story editor would get for the same position. Is that where the big um, books come from? Huh? Is that where the well, big bucks come in? There's no such a, <laughs> putting big bucks in in in, in any in any uh, thing with filmation is not. It's just totally <laughs> that's that's totally wrong. <laughs> they, they never had big bucks because every every penny Lou made went back into his into the company. Which right. is why he was the best. He was my best boss ever. Lou Scheimer treated me like I was. He treated everyone like they were. He was just marvelous to work for. Nice. Um, you know, but pay, <laughs> no, there wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of pay <laughs> at that, even for the story it is. I mean, you didn't get the big bucks on a filmation show because they just couldn't afford to pay it and make 65 episodes in a year. Right. You know, it just, it just, it just was an impossibility unless, you know, some millionaire, a billionaire or a gazillionaire had come along and, and given Lou a, you know, $20 million. Yeah. Um, I was always writing as if somebody had done that, <laughs> but, but <laughs> Because all of my scripts would usually get the, the the biggest thing on my scripts would not be well this line is no good or that is it'd be dollar sign. Yeah. Uh, Hal Sutherland would always be saying, "Larry, this is a terrific script, but we can't do it. There's no way we can do this. It's too expensive. You gotta gotta cut these shots down. You can't have this three dimensional <sighs> shot." And you know, it was I just had to learn that it, it's when you're doing a limited animation show, especially on a short budget, there's only so much you can get away with. But you know, there's we learned on the course of He-Man how to get away with it really well, how to mm. how to make strength out of our weaknesses and how to apply it to story. And, and and what you liked about the show wasn't the animation; it was the story and the characters. That's yeah. that, that's simply it. You might not have realized that at the time. <laughs> but, yeah. 
you know, who does when you're a kid? You just look and say, oh, that's neat, you know. Uh, but, you know, that's for us, for the writers, it's got to be, okay, I told a good story and I, I gave you some characters to work with. And that's why at the end of the first season of He-Man, I cataloged every episode and every character that was in it and said, here's who we're bringing back and here's who we're not bringing back. That's a story editor job, but I wasn't getting paid for it. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Eventually, I probably would have moved to producer, but I, I left Filmation uh, after the first year of Shira. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and besides, over to Deep. Besides <laughs> cartoons, are what are you gonna say, Larry? We got bucks. <laughs> we got more money. I was getting, I was getting like three times more money than I was getting at Filmation. Ah, well, that's always good. Besides well, cartoons, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, besides cartoons, our podcasts also mostly revolve around Transformers, so let's get into some Beast Wars stuff. How did you get involved with Beast Wars? Okay, that would be Chris Bruff. Uh, Chris Bruff was uh, the, the executive, the, the owner of uh, um, Alliance Mainframe, Mainframe Entertainment. Mainframe Entertainment in the show was a Mainframe Alliance. There, there was some kind of a thing there, and now they're apparently Rainmaker Alliance. But Chris was an executive on that show, and they, they were the ones who did reboot mm. uh, before Beast Wars. They were like the they were the first guys. They really brought CGI to television. Um, there, I don't know if there's going to be some. And no one ever kind of mentions that they were the reboot. Re- 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 remember reboot? Yeah, you yeah. remember reboot? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, oh yeah. Very early CGI was stuff. Fantastic. So when, when they talked to us, I was Bob Forward and I, they wanted both of us, for some reason they thought we were a team. And we had to, and, you know, we had to disavow them. We, we never actually wrote together, Bob and I. Uh, once we did on uh, Transformers Animated. Um, but at the time we weren't a team, but we both were with the same agent. So she, she, was, she was talking to the same agent, and she called and said, uh, hey, there's a new Transformers series going. Uh, what do you guys think? And I have to say what we said is, oh, what are you kidding? Transformers? Ugh. We hate Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know I shouldn't be saying this to a bunch of Transformers fans. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but uh, well, really, it, it, just, it, did, it didn't sing to either of us. But, you know, we were writers, and we were writers in need of a job. So we said, uh, said well, he, he wants to come down. And he was up in, in Vancouver, Canada. He's coming to L.A., and he wants to meet with you guys and tell you, you know, what this new show is and, you know, see if you guys want to work on it. So, well, you know, we're always willing to take a meeting. You're always willing. Why not? You get a free lunch, for one thing. You know, and if you yeah. drink a little, you can get a couple of beers as well. <laughs> you know, so you know that's that's any writer would go out for a beer and a couple of you know some, yeah. something to eat and Free talk beer. about getting a job. You know, we love to do that. You know, I did it for Disney a lot. And I never had any intention of working for Disney. In fact, I spent a lot of money <laughs> on, on beer. At the thing, and a lot the guys would say, "Oh, we know you don't want to work on it, but you might as well have lunch." And I said, "Okay." Anyway, we had lunch with Chris, and Chris was a, he was a very dynamic guy, uh, very nice guy, and he said, he says, Reboot was a success for us, he said, he says, but frankly, he said, the story sucked. He said, they weren't, he said, the stories, they, they just, they didn't hold water. He said, if we had better stories, he says, I think the series would be on the air. And he says, you two are, are kind of have a reputation as the best story guys in town. You know, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's, that was his idea, so it was, 
we left him with that idea that yes, in fact, we were in, involved. Um, so we said okay. So he sat down and he told us about Beast Wars and and Hasbro and all this stuff. And um, you know, and we said, well, let us think about it, and you know, we'll we'll think about it. Uh, and he said okay. So he went back to Canada, and we Bob and I talked about it, and then uh, then he called our agent, right? And he made us literally the offer you can't refuse. I mean, he made us an offer that no cartoon writer was getting at that time at all, except maybe Jeff Scott, who was uh, CBS's main main kid. Uh, they were paying him good, and Mark Evanier. They always were paying Mark well. Yeah. But, you know, guys, we weren't getting bucks like this. I mean, this it was a ridiculous price, and it was literally a price we couldn't turn down. But this is this is nuts, you know. This is this is like ten times what I made at Filmation. <laughs> this is, it was it was more than I was actually making at Beast Wars. I mean, on Babylon Five. Wow. <laughs> I said, wow. <laughs> I said that's something, you know, um, because we were being paid as both story editors and writers. Uh, so we would get we would get quite a, a large amount of money for writing a for writing a script. They paid well. They 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 paid well all down the line to the writers. We got more than anybody else, but uh, the other ones were still getting paid over scale. They, of course, reboot. They had a lot of money uh, at the time, and I guess they did, they didn't care. I, we hoped that they that they never said, "Oh, geez, they they, they don't know they're paying us as much." <laughs> we got suckers here. We got to go for it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we, we we had to do it, you know. Uh, we just uh, the money was was good, and we kind of we liked Chris a lot, and, and we now they were in Vancouver as well. So now we weren't going to move to Vancouver, but they didn't expect us to move to Vancouver. We had to make sure we were getting paid American money. Of course, right. at that time, American money was worth more than Canadian. <laughs> Today, you'd rather be paid in Canadian money. <laughs> but then we yeah, American said you have to be American bucks. Right, right. Um, and we and we went to work on it, and and, you, and that was it. That's how we got involved with it. We we really literally, I mean, we knew of the Transformers. Uh, we just we had never watched the show uh, much, so we went out looking for you know how we're going to do this show and what's this show all about. Um, and for me, it came from a comic, but it's not. It was not Bob's. It was Bob actually was the editor, but it was Simon Furman who wrote the the Transformers comic books. I found I found that whole line of, of like G two, right? That he did, mm-hmm. um, and it was like about thirteen episodes, and it was all sitting there in, in a in a comic book store for the cover price. <laughs> I said, "You're kidding me! I'll buy them all." <laughs> I, took, I took the whole set and I took it home. I said this was good. That was getting for like sixty-five cents a piece, you know, <laughs> yeah. comic books. Uh, and I said, "Wow, this was great." And I looked in there and I said, "Wow, this is how we need to do the show." And now this was this was G. These were G G two Transformers, you know. Often they weren't Beast Wars characters, right. but reading the comic, you just totally forgot they were robots. You just mm-hmm. that Simon, that Simon is the writer. He gave Optimus this personality that was really multi-layered, you know, and I said, this is what we got to do. We got to play these characters like, you know, they're, they're warriors, they're soldiers. They're in a, they're in, they're in the biggest war ever. And they're, they're real soldiers and they can, they can hurt and they can feel pain. They can do all that stuff. 
Well, you, you actually know? brought Simon. That, I got uh, all that out of out of Simon's thing. You brought Simon Furman in at the end of the of the season run, right? Because he's he he's credited as a writer. Yes, that's right. He is. He did. He wrote uh, one of the season three episodes, and, and it's very yeah. Good. Nemesis two parter. Ah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we wanted Simon. Simon just inspired us so much that you know. Also, he was he knew he knew all about G one and G. He was a big Transformers fan and still is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he knew all this stuff. And the second guy that got us into it was Benson Yee. Uh, ben mm-hmm. Yee, who ben. has the, the, the started the Beast Wars site and stuff on that. So that got us into it, and we suddenly started to get. Besides the money, we started to get really excited about how we could do this story. And basically, Chris was telling us, "You can do what you want. You know, you just you got. We have to go to Cincinnati and speak with Hasbro about it. But other than that, you know, you can do anything you want, and anything you want is exactly what a writer likes to hear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go. I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to go crazy. <laughs> you know. So then Bob and I went to you know to write the Bible and that kind of stuff. Uh, With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's how I got involved first with Beast Wars. Um... Well, we've another seen, question, and I'll, I'll give you another answer. <laughs> yeah, well, we've we've seen you've described as uh, both a writer and an executive story editor for Beast Wars. Now, is that just you pulling double duty, or was there a promotion in there somewhere? Or basically, uh, I mean, how do the two roles differ? Um, the two roles don't differ much. A story editor is a writer, and the the thing is, it it's I didn't get a we didn't get a promotion. That's the one thing we couldn't get was a promotion, and that was not because they didn't like us because we certainly gave them a, you know, a show that, that hit the ground running and was a pretty big success. Uh, it, it's a Canadian law that you can't, have an, um, you can't have a producer on a show who's not Canadian. Uh, really? We, oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, that, I don't know if that law is still in effect. Um, but uh, up in Canada, it may not be. That might have been changed. But at that time, you just, you just couldn't get an get an American producer a British producer it had to be a Canadian um, producer um, you could be a story story editor executive story editor is as high as you was as high as you could go so we started the show as the story editors the next year we became executive story editors because it's a logic because it's a that's how the hierarchy works you get promoted the next year to the executive story editor 
which means you're still doing the same job. You're still a writer. The only thing about the only difference between a writer on a show and an executive story editor is the ex- executive story editor is working both on his or her own stories and mm-hmm. everybody else's that's coming there. And what you, what you do as a story editor is you make sure that the tone of the show is right, the dialogue is right, the guy's got his information straight, the guy's doing everything he can with screen, uh, with, this, with, this, with the scenes. Um, you're, and that's to get you ready for the next step would be, would be producer. Now you'd still be doing the same job as producer. Uh, there was nothing, there's no difference between it. You're writing, except you're again writing on everybody. We, you know, we wrote on everybody's scripts. Uh, in, the, in the best of worlds, like with Len Wein, you know, you do one day of, of story editing with Len Wein and you, you've got a script because I knew Len could write a script that way and I and trusted him from previous shows. I hired my friends, Bob fired his friends. To write. <laughs> of course, we also had to have some Canadian writers on the on the show, and then they came. They came uh, later on uh, with people. So there's some people we gave a start to that I don't think have gone um, very far because the start wasn't very good. <laughs> so they got they got their first credit off of it, and we fixed we fixed what was wrong. Right. Um, uh, then. So there's no responsibilities changing when you become a story editor or even when you become a producer. If you, As a matter of fact, there is, I don't think there's even, there is a story editor, a friend of mine is a story editor on Warehouse 13, but he's like the only one I know of. Most people get a producer's deal, and I'm sure if Warehouse 13, which seems to be doing well, goes to next year, he will be a producer. Uh, if, we, if Bob and I could have got a producer credit, which they would have given us, I think without without that law, they just put right. Them, you know, um, they did give us some more money, <laughs> so, so we could. That's always good. <laughs> yeah, money is good. Um, you've said yeah. that you, well, you, you've said that you weren't involved in the earlier Transformers series. So how did you come up with the whole idea of using the Generation One Transformers in the in the crashed Ark in season That's- two and the. Yeah, this is this is such a long story. I don't even know if we have the time to get it in. <laughs> okay. How many how many questions you got? Uh, of course, um, I think my family expects me to be out here by six. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I'll give you the I'll give you the fast version. Is that all came about by us going on um, website on the Transformers website? Because once we started working on this show, I said, well, I want to know a little more about it. So, we, you know, I go do what we always do. We go on a thing, and, well, there was no Google at that time, but I Googled it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I, and I said, you know, I said, boy, we're bucking like this cannon is, like, ridiculous. You know, <laughs> we got, you know, there's like, I don't know, a thousand Transformers. And there's, there seems to be one popping out of every 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 wall, you know, <laughs> every place. I said, you know, and I said, we, we need, you know, we need somebody on this. And there was also beginning the buzz of this is going to be terrible. This is going to make every Transformers fan totally angry. You know, <laughs> you're never doing things right. You know, this will you'll never this will never work. You know, that came later. So. We started to talk to we started to talk to people, and then at one point, I don't know, Ben Ben became like a friend of ours, and he was giving us like archives on the old Transformers show. So we actually had the old ar- archives that he had, had spent a lot of time on doing, 
and we'd look at this, and it was like every show that the Transformers had ever done, even some of the Japanese stuff, uh, not, not just the American stuff. Huh. Um, so it was the fans that got us into G1, and again, I got more interested in through Simon's comic book and, uh, that did the G2 turnover, and I, I got an idea out of that. And then Bob got a couple of ideas from that, and then we started to talk about it. And, you know, it was, and you know, it was a move that we felt Hasbro didn't like it. This is what was really weird. They, they, our biggest problem came from Hasbro with this. They said, well, we're not trying to sell old G1 toys. We don't need this store. Toys. So it has to be Beast Wars character. I, you know, but we said, but now there was one guy on, on, on the Hasbro, he wasn't a high executive, he was kind of an intern. And he and he also was an he was a walking encyclopedia of Transformers. He's one of those guys that grew up on Transformers and so he went and he got his dream job working for Hasbro. <laughs> uh, which I would never <laughs> I would never claim as my dream job. But I wasn't right. working for Hasbro, I was working for Mainframe. Right. Well, I mean, I could call them the head of Hasbro's stupid name. Oh. Uh, terrible names that she never realized I was calling her. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and, and yell at her you know, that um, the, uh, the whole tie-in, regardless of what Hasbro felt at the time, yeah. to us fans, that was just genius. I, I mean, just being able to go back and tie it into the current work of, of Beast Wars... In season one, even though the tie-in was already kind of made a little bit, but we never knew that it was actually Planet Earth, how did the whole making it Planet Earth storyline come about? Like, how did you guys uh, make the decision process to say, oh, hey, this is Earth now? Well, again, we didn't we didn't really have that, that power. We didn't have the power to make that decision. That decision had to be made by Hasbro. Um. So they were they were balking at it, right? And mm-hmm. and the one guy on the on the panel there that really loved the trans the, the G1 Transformers, you know, he was saying, no, this is good because it ties it in with the old show, and then maybe we can bring back the old show. Well, we all know what happened there <laughs> that uh, they brought back movies even better, you know. Yeah. Um, so. Um, once we once we once we just said the name Starscream, like on the I forget what episode we used that in, but we you know said something about Starscream, or oh no, we just put one of the guys up up in up in Canada, um, you know, puts put Starscream into a shot of a uh, 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 kind of a flashback or a dream sequence. Right. I think it was in mine. I'm big on dream sequences. I think it was in one of my episodes. When the and the tutor said, well, was having put, his dream. Let's put someone in there. Yeah, and, and someone said, yeah, Starscream. He was real popular, you know, so let's put Starscream in there. And once people said, they said, was that Starscream? Holy crap, this is really Transformers. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that's what started. It started a ball rolling. When they first, when we first did this, they said it's it's a it's a prehistoric planet. There's no humans on it. There's nothing there but maybe some animals, you know, and the two tra- transformer sides. But it's not planet Earth. It couldn't be right. It had two two moons. This is where the genius comes in on us, you know. When we were trying to get this in, we said, okay, listen, uh, you know, if it turns out that it's not, <laughs> we said, all right, it's not, it's not Earth. You've told us it's not Earth. It's not Earth. But that didn't change the thing. Cybertron was Cybertron in the old series. 
and that's where right. it came from. So we kind of like kind of it was really I, I think we did a, a superb job of kind of kind of just finessing them into like. And then we'd, we'd show them, like, the stuff on the board. And look, people are screaming all over the place. Oh, now, well, who are we going to see next? Let's get this guy in. Now, of course, they didn't, they didn't want that. Again, they were trying to sell these toys. Right. Um, so, when they, and then, finally, uh, after all this going back and forth on this stuff, and this was about three or four episodes that already done uh, and in, you know, somebody said to us, said, oh, well, let's make it Earth. You know, we said, oh, God, you, know, you could have saved us so much trouble if you had just said that last time. This is Earth. Now, once we got to this is Earth, right, it was logical that that the Ark was there. You know, it was just logical. You know, it made sense that the Ark was there, and that's how we got it in. It was yeah. less a decision than a, than a finessing and a kind of an outcry from the people that say we want to we want we want our own plan. We love these new transformers, but we want to see the old ones too. You know, and, <laughs> and we have you know, to we blow them well. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and you had to blow up a moon. <laughs> yes, that's right. We put up two moons. We said, listen, if it turns out that you want to make it Earth, we'll blow up one moon. <laughs> and that's that's what I did. And, you know, I didn't tell them I was going to kill Optimus at the same time, but, and I got a lot of problems with that, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, well, um, we like to hear it when voice actors have action figures from all of their characters that they have uh, given their voices to. Uh, but did you collect action figures uh, from the Beast Wars line? No, usually they, they give them to you, you know. Um, but they didn't give us... They gave us a couple of figures, but they didn't. They didn't give us much. Um, all the figures went to. Uh, this is the same on uh, Hemian, by the way. Uh, the the people who got the action figures were the were the artists because they had to draw them. Uh, right. They figured, oh, the writers don't need the action figures, you know. Um, <laughs> of course they do. So, you know, either sometimes they'd like give us some cast offs, like when we went down when we went to Hasbro. We'd go to Hasbro like once a year. To you know, see how things are going. Yeah. Um, so they didn't really send us a whole lot of uh, Beast Wars figures. I think I got a couple sitting around here somewhere. The um, interview that you and Bob did on the Beast Wars DVDs, uh, the one that Bob did, for some strange reason, there was an Optimal Optimus sitting next to him in the interview that he did for Bob Forward. <laughs> oh. I don't know if that was a prop or if that was actually his. It probably was his, see, because Bob liked to get that stuff. Bob liked that stuff. <laughs> he liked, he liked <laughs> You know, I liked him for, for you know, I liked him for staging scenes, you know, just kind of like mapping out your scene by using the toys and kind of playing with toys, aren't you? <laughs> mm-hmm. And also getting, making money and playing with toys. It's fun. Mm-hmm. That's what I would do. That was fun, but, uh, and, it, and they're good to have, so, you you know, you get, but but everything they, that needs to be getting gotten right on the figures has to do with the artists and not the writers. So they don't right. always just. I will say on the new He-Man, they send me a whole box of figures, which is nice. now in storage in, in their original boxes. It's <laughs> 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 a collector. <laughs> that's, a, that's my legacy. <laughs> uh, uh, did you get a chance to talk with any of the voice actors uh, about their roles as you had written them, or was there like a strict division between writers and actors? Well, the thing is, we weren't there. We were we were here in Los Angeles. They were up in Vancouver. 
That that's right. Yeah. So there's not really a lot, a lot of stuff. We spoke to the voice actors with the year we went to um, uh, Fuhr, the Botcon. Mm-hmm. Oh, the after that, yeah. Came there, and there, you know, I mean, Scott McNeil was the, was was <laughs> he was so I couldn't believe that guy. That guy yeah. did that did like interview. We have been dying to get. Yeah, I mean, Scott would. Scott would basically be talking to himself all day. If I'm being honest, <laughs> you know, he'd have these things where it was all his characters, and he could do it. He could just go in and out of them like crazy. I mean, I yep. voice actors make you in cartoons. I mean, if you don't have good voice actors, you're dead in cartoons. And we had mm-hmm. excellent. You know, not everybody, but most everybody was really excellent on Beast Wars, with, where the uh, the uh, the voices were concerned. I mean, really, they were great. And Scott could do it all. You know, and Alec Willis just did Tarantulas. He was just Tarantulas. That was it. he did that one voice. You know, and Venus Terso did my favorite Black Arachnia lady. Uh, and that's half of why there are shrines to black arachnia up on, on the internet all over the place. That was yeah. great to 12-year-old boys at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and a couple of uh, the adults as well. Yeah. Although the writing chores changed hands between Beast Wars and Beast Machines, would you care to speculate a bit and tell us what you would have done differently if you had continued with the franchise as far as going from Beast Wars to the new series Beast Machines? Uh, Well, first of all, they never asked us to work on Beast Machines. Ever. Okay. Uh, We were never considered for Beast Machines, and that was because the original Beast Wars was uh, syndicated. Beast Machines was was a network show. And uh, the network saying, well, we can't have these guys that write syndicated. We have our own guys, both of whom, by the way, are friends of ours, Bob Skier and uh, uh, Marty. Uh, Marty. I don't know what the hell's Marty's last name. Eisenberg. Uh, Eisenberg, Marty Eisenberg, right. Just worked for the guy. I can't remember his name. <laughs> um, they were, I mean, they were, they were acquaintances of ours. They, you know, they were friends of ours. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we had nothing against them. They didn't come looking for our jobs. They had done Godzilla, which was a big hit for uh, uh, Fox um, uh, cartoons. Yeah. Uh, so they said, well, let's get Bob Steer, let's get Bob and Marty to do this, you know. Now, we had, we'd been working on, on Beast Wars now for two years, and, you know, we, 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 we could have worked on it again if they wanted us, but they didn't want us. So that, there, was no, there was no even negotiation or even idea. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, they helmed the, they helmed the sinking ship. So... <laughs> Mm. Uh, it kind of worked out, uh, you know. It's a little shade and frown there, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, um, they they just and I know that, that once you get in the network vein, it's very very hard to get something good out of it because they have they have a hundred things they don't want you to do and and very little idea of what they do want you to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so writing for Beast Machines would have been uh, like I think agony for us because it was not it was not our characters it was not our guys they were changing we had already changed them from uh, their original Beast Wars to Fusors to tra- transistors or whatever we call them I don't know they were it was a transmetals transmetals right? transmetals. <laughs> Uh, I said, you know, and then, so now they're going to be beast machines. I said, it's, well, so now you're back to the original Transformers. <laughs> you have an animal turned into cars, right? <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> we wouldn't have done it. What we would have 
liked to have done had we stayed on there if they wanted to do another show was to take them back to Cybertron uh, with Megatron in pursuit of them. Um, and eventually get back to Cybertron itself uh, because there was a lot going on on Cybertron that was happening because it had happened in Beast Wars and they had changed the timeline. Right. Uh, and they also had, you know, Optimus Primal's head shadow off by, by Megatron and the old. A lot had changed on the Cybertron because of that. And that was really our, you know, our dream was to go back to Cybertron, you know, and, and really get, or have them in space. We thought they worked better in space than they did on Planet Bound. You know, they could go in anywhere in space and we could put them off against a lot of stuff. That was that was the idea we had. But, I mean, once we knew that we were not going to work on it, we just stopped, you know, getting any ideas because it was not going to be our stuff, so we didn't care. Um, not that we didn't care about you guys. <laughs> we cared about the fans, but, you know, we just didn't care about uh, Fox uh, and what they wanted to do because they didn't even give us a shot to write it. And consequently... You know, Bob and Marty got castigated by Beast Wars fans. On, uh, <laughs> they got the, the poor guys. I mean, they got the stuff that we got when we first started Beast Wars. But but worse, because now everybody liked Beast Wars, and they didn't want to change to this this next incarnation. I never saw it. I never, I never, I never seen a single episode of Beast Machines. Uh, now, see, I, I love Beast Machines. I, I love Beast Wars, but I also I I, I, I never because I see it as one. I, I know you you guys had stopped at season three of Beast Wars, and you brought and they brought in Marty and um, Bob, but I see it as one whole continuous story. That's just me personally, and I absolutely love Beast Machines. I love both series. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I, per, personally, I think that uh, you know the writing for Beast Wars was a lot better than the writing for Beast Machines. Uh, not because you know Beast Machines wasn't a good story; it's a very good story arc. It's it's a nice couple of season story arc, but in many places, the sequential storytelling was just off. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't work very well. Uh, it's mm-hmm. hard to tell what's going on in some scenes, and things are hard to follow, or they don't make sense from moment to moment. I mean, if you hadn't seen it yourself, mm-hmm. you probably you know have no. no idea. But I mean, if you had seen it, you probably could have picked it out right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> I mean, compared I to your pick stuff, it out of no original say. family, easy. <laughs> <laughs> You can yeah you can see you can see stuff like that. I mean that's not really, it's not really Bob and Marty's fault. It's it's more the point is too many hands uh, in the pot uh, on a network show, and everybody thinks that they have the the greatest idea ever, you know. And yeah. then the, and then the toy company is going to come after you with what they want, and they have no idea whatsoever of how to make a show. Right. Right. Well, to change gears a bit. Frustrated. You survive. You survive a, a, a toy company. <laughs> that you don't really work for them. You, you, you survive them. To persevere. Worst business yeah. in the world. Yeah, they'll cut your throat in a minute. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm almost tempted to uh, stick with that concept for a minute. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, changing gears. Uh, the uh, the animated series that you wrote for. You, usually had a lot of other writers, uh, each doing their own episodes, like uh, taking He-Man, for example. Uh, was there any communication between the writers in order to help uh, continuity or focus characters? 
Yes. Um, it was with, it with uh, us as we, we would take pictures. Um, again, doing a story editor's job, we're not getting paid for. Uh, but we were taking pictures from writers, and we would work with the we would write work back and forth with the writers, with the freelance writers. Uh-huh. That's what a that's what a story editor does. But, uh, but we were staff writers, and staff writers do that as well. Um, the um, they didn't like us talking to the artists at, at the filmation. They thought we were fooling around too much and not working. That we should be at our desks. And we like talking to the artists, you know, because art is like a different thing from the writing. Were, were you all in the same building? Huh? Yes. Oh, Filmation, that's, that was the beauty of working for Filmation. It was a complete animation company in one building. Wow. And it was the only one left in America. Even Disney wasn't doing animation that way. I had and always just fine. assumed they shipped it overseas to be done or something. No, none of the Filmation no, stuff was shipped overseas. It was all on shipped overseas, ever. Wow. That was one of the beauties writers, of it. We learned everything about animation and filmation. We learned, how, we learned about recording. We learned about voiceover. We learned about in-betweeners and campaigners. We learned it all. And we and we go with them, um, you know, and say, okay, here's what I want here. Can you do that? Can you draw? And we love talking to the artists because I could do this, you know. And then, yeah. They see they could they could sneak stuff in there that we couldn't sneak in <laughs> because it was art. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so, nice. Yeah. Uh, well, you do communicate between writers, but you know once once the script is done, you're right you're you're off and you're on the next script. There's not a lot of time to sit around and talk in the way we used to do things uh, thirty years ago. Huh. Uh, what is the difference in writing for animation versus writing for live action, such as? Uh, uh, what you did with the Babylon Five series, and and follow up. Well, is, is it just the subject matter that changes from like kid stuff to well, more it's engaging? Well, not for kids. So, so it's, 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 there's a, there's kind of an art to writing for kids, where you don't you don't give them to, too much to handle. Mm-hmm. Um, now I have a different take on it because I I kind of write cartoons like they're live action, um, and I consider them not kid shows but family shows. Um, I consider that there's a six-year-old kid watching uh, He-Man and his dad may be sitting next to him watching with him, which mm. is, was the case in a lot of... Uh, we had a lot of... Actually, 34% of our audience, we did a poll one time, were, were adults. Uh, mainly those were college students, though. But they were older adults, too. And on Beast Wars, we had a lot of people... That were, because we did some uh, stuff on Beast Wars that was pretty tough for kids like killing Dinobot and, 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 every, and every other and every other guy. We killed almost every other guy in Beast Wars. <laughs> you know, and that's because Bob wanted to give. Uh, Bob said, "You know, I wanted uh, I want to go out with us having completed as much as we could of of our story and give it a signature closing." Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Which he did. And, yeah. It's uh, very good. Very good. He's a very, very good uh, forward. We, we um, have blamed uh, uh, Simon Furman for killing everybody off. So, it tends to be a signature. This is the thing about animated cartoon writers who write action shows. We're just dying to kill somebody because we never could do it before. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they never would let us. You know, um, but I mean, I, I my most vivid memory of Beast Wars is getting a letter from a guy who had watched Code of Hero with his kid, and the kid just burst into tears at the end of it. You know, <laughs> I mean, so the he... kid was like, oh, he said, "Daddy, Daddy, you're talking about his dad," and, and he said, "He said the guy said it was one minute I was kind of mad at you guys, and then I, I, I." I uh, he says, then he had this talk with his son about people live and people die, you know, which, you know, as parents, I don't know if you guys are parents, but I'm, yeah, I'm a parent. Yeah. If this is a talk you should have with your child at some point, you know, <laughs> and that this lent itself to that. I thought that was, I said, oh, okay, we're really doing something good here. If they can watch that together, and at the end of the, the kid was okay, he said, could we watch it again, Dad? You know, oh. but really... Uh, Code of Hero was that was the to me the best episode of Beast Wars was Code of Hero, and it was right. That's also because Bob directed that as well. Yes, um, he did. I had no interest in directing. I can't even get up that early in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm strictly a writer. <laughs> Since we brought up Dinobot's death, would you like to give us any behind the scenes info on the uh, rejected Dark Glass script, where supposedly he was uh, supposed to come uh, back to life? Yeah, I knew you were going to answer that. Everyone asked that question. That was the famous dark glass uh, controversy. Uh, what happened is that Chris, the, the first draft of Christie's script, we just simply didn't like the script. It, there was nothing. And people said, oh, it was too. It was, it was, it, they censored it because it was too dark for kids. It's no, sometimes, and I, Christy, I hired, I hired Christy Marks in a minute. Uh, every show I ever worked on, she, uh, I hired her for. I believe, uh, if she wasn't, in fact, working on her own show at the time. And she's given me jobs a couple of times. So, you know, Christy is a great writer, but on that script particularly, she, it just didn't work. The script just didn't work. And you just don't want to put on it. You just don't want to put on a script that works because everybody hates you for it. On the other hand, that meant she had to go back. We paid her for the story and I think the first draft. And I said, but I said, get, I said, come up with something else because I said, I, there's no amount of work on the script that's going to fix it. Um, it's just, it's just an instinct that you have that you know. It's often they tell on, on He-Man, you say there's two kinds of scripts: producible and unproducible. Dark Glass was an unproducible script that wouldn't have worked. Um, so she had to come back, and what did she come back with? She came back with Transmutate, which is my second favorite story on this one. Mm. I mean, that story that makes me cry. <laughs> that, yeah, that story was very deep. 
Sanjute was was uh, it's a very very disturbing story when you look at it. It's it's like an abused child story, you know. Uh, yep. That was a ten times better script than than Dark Glass ever was, you know. And if we had done Dark Glass, she wouldn't have wrote Transmutic. So we <laughs> got that script out of it, and I you know, and I I think it's one of the best things she's ever written. Hire Christy Marks out there, people. <laughs> You have to hire yes. me. I got plenty of money. But hire Chris. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite character type to write for? Heroes, villains, or is there another type of character that you like better? Who gets the best lines? Well, let me tell you who, who my least favorite character is in He Man. It's He Man. Okay. <laughs> it's He Man, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, the funny thing is that I don't really. I like heroes' sidekicks. Orko. 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 Oh, no, Orko. Orko. Um, you said Hero's sidekicks. Hmm? You said Hero's sidekicks, and I said Orko. Yeah, Orko. Yeah. Well, Orko, you know, I wrote a lot of Orko stories. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when I went to work for the new He-Man, <laughs> they said, we want you to do an Orko story. <laughs> and I said, oh, <laughs> shit, I knew they were going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Oddly enough, they gave, you know, that was, I really enjoyed writing that story for the new He-Man, the lessons, the Orko story. I liked Orko, I like weird characters, and Orko was weird, and, and he's funny weird. <laughs> I, I, I came back to the comedy, he was funny weird, and, I, and you could do things with Orko you couldn't do with anybody else. So I really did, at first, I didn't like him because he was the kid character, because every filmation show has a kid character. Mm-hmm. Um I don't like kid characters. I hate kid characters. I'd, I'd like to blow them all up. <laughs> you know? oh. It's not that I don't like kids. I just don't like kid characters in action shows because they're just, they get in the way. Uh, and I'm not that crazy about heroes. You know, villains, uh, villains, are, villains are always great to write for because you can bring your dark side out and write all this, <laughs> this cool stuff for the villain. And, you know, you can kind of get all that stuff out of you. Yeah. But heroes, where do you go? I mean, you can't get your good stuff out there by writing for heroes. It's, it just doesn't come out. It's just a hero. He's a hero, you know. He man is he man. I also wrote it one time for the Superman cartoon show. Um, that was very hard because what do you do to Superman? That was that was the hardest character I ever wrote for because you have to figure out how do I defeat Superman. And there's only two ways, as far as I can see, have a character that uses magic and has a character and have Lois Lane kidnapped. <laughs> Those are the two things. I'm Kryptonite. There's a third of Kryptonite, but I didn't want to go to Kryptonite on Superman. So I did two shows on Superman, that, which, by the way, when it came out, we called it Adequate Man. Um, the animation is really bad. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, I like, I like to write, I like, I like villains and I like odd characters and I happen to like sidekicks a lot. I really do like sidekicks. You might say I like Pancho better than I like Cisco, like in Zorro, uh, in Cisco (laughs) Kid, rather. (laughs) You know, uh, I like funny characters. I like, I like to, I still have that, that idea that I'm kind of funny and I like to do some funny stuff. But, you know, it's just a character that you can... Obviously, Tarantulas was my favorite character, which is kind of an odd pick, because he's a total sociopath. (laughs) But uh, he was the only guy on Beast Wars that actually knew what was going on. (laughs) I said, he's the only guy that knows the actual story that was never really fully told, because I just didn't have the time to do it uh, at the end of the season. If only he would have expositioned a little more. 
you know, at the, in the third season, they, we were only allowed to write two scripts each because we were more expensive than the other writers. Um, uh, and also, I don't, they just didn't want us to write too much on it. They, we, we wrote a lot in, in the first and second season. but in the, in the, And, of course, we, since we were rewriting, we were kind of free writing scripts that didn't work. And so we kind of wrote it, but we didn't put our names on it. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's about it. We just got a couple more questions, so we'll, we're almost done. Um, as a writer, uh, what's the weirdest thing that has ever happened to you? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, hmm, the weirdest thing that's ever happened. You know, I don't really know. Huh? Well, it's, it's I don't think change. anything weird has happened to me that, that has to do with my writing. Um Let's try something mm. else. Uh, have you ever been asked yeah, to write something that you didn't want to do? Oh, sure. Uh, but if I'm asked to write something I don't want to do, I don't do it. Yeah. Well, besides Disney. <laughs> I, I, okay, I, I, did take, I did take the money on Transformers. That's true. But um, if I write something I really don't want to do, I don't think I, I could be good at it. I, I need to have a passion for it. And so yeah. what happens, if it's something, I, it's true, neither Bob nor, nor I wanted to do the Transformers when we started with it. Um, what we did was, was turn it around to a point where we could make it ours and say, we did this. And they gave us that opportunity by saying, okay, all you got to do is have these, you know, these guys turn the thing, and then you have to make up everything else, you know. And, and making everything else up, since we didn't have to know anything, we didn't have to know anything about the old series to write Beast Wars. That Dave Hasbro said that you don't need, you don't, you don't need to, they didn't give us any any help there except for Tony. That was the, the Transformers guy. Mm-hmm. So if you if you get something and you know you want the money or you need the money, you know you make it your own, and that's the only way that'll happen to you. You know. So, but weird stuff. We're all, we're all home all the time writing. <laughs> nothing nothing weird happens to us. You know. Uh-huh. So Not Mickey much. Mouse never made you an offer that you couldn't refuse. Oh yeah, yes. Uh, they, no, Mickey Mouse. Yeah, they wanted me to write Mickey Mouse mysteries. I said, I'm. I'm assuming I can't kill anybody. <laughs> 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 and they said, Well, no, you can. I said, Well, then, then, then the heck with it. <laughs> that was I wrote a murder she wrote, and they and they read it and they they liked it. They liked my murder she wrote script, so they said, oh, You can write mysteries. So. Maybe that's the weirdest thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> Disney, I think the I think Disney asked me to work for them about five, four or five times, and I turned them down every time. I didn't, uh, I didn't want to write Disney. I just I really didn't want it. Um, and something I I don't want to do. Um, Peter Pan. I worked on Peter Pan. I did want to do that until I saw how they were doing it. Is that uh, the one with uh, Tim Curry as a as Hook? Uh, yeah, the, the the animated sedan series. I know, did Tim Curry play Hook? I don't think it was yeah, a sedan series then. No, no, no. Tim Curry sure. played Hook somewhere else. There, there was one action. where uh, there was an animated series where Tim Curry played Hook, and it was it was awesome. Yeah. Oh, Curry, Tim does a lot of it. He does voice work, so uh, yeah, he's an actor. Yeah, anyway, uh, we know you've attended uh, BotCon once or twice. What was that like? <laughs> that, that that was mind-blowing. That might be the weirdest thing that ever happened to me. 
I mean, Bob and I went to went, went to a botcon uh, out here that was out here in California. They asked us to come, and all all the uh, the guys came down from Vancouver to it. A lot of the voice actors came down to do it. That's where we met Scott, and, and uh, unfortunately, Venus didn't come. Oh, she what that character wasn't in yet. Um, but because uh, Venus is pretty good looking on her own, <laughs> um, so we all like to meet them. Uh, yeah, we I, I've gone to Bacon and, and so but. What we didn't realize was how international this this thing was. I mean, we were meeting fans from Germany, Japan. Um, they said they said, well, you know, we got, want you guys to do like a panel and then and then sit down like at the autograph booth so people can get your autograph on stuff. And we said, what, are you kidding us? <laughs> no one ever asked us to sit at an autograph booth. No one wants our <laughs> autograph. We were signing autographs for five hours. <laughs> this is ridiculous. This is, we said, what have we done here? <laughs> have we made people crazy or what? Why do they want our autographs? I mean, it was very, it was, it was nice. It was fun. It was fun to see that so many people were into this from all over the place, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, I never realized it was such an international phenomenon. I mean, I realized that it even started in Japan and, and went on, but the anime didn't travel that far those, in those days. Well, know, what year was that? So was that, was that 96 a, or 97? That would probably be uh, 90, must be 96. Or it was in Anaheim. It was the year Bicon was in Anaheim. Yeah, at the, the Anaheim Convention Center out by Disneyland. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah. So that yeah that that should have been like and then Black Rackney came later so yeah that should have been ninety five or ninety six uh, I've I've been I've been to Comic Con uh, doing a He Man panel of, uh, there's a convention here I always used to go to um, uh, Lost Con which is uh, you know a sci fi convention so I go there and do the Dog and Pony show with Joe on, uh, on Babylon Five. Uh, which oh. always was a big. That was exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Until I got fired. <laughs> but uh, that's a weird thing that happened to me. But uh, I like. Um, I'm, I'm known as fan friendly. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, if you come up there, you know, as long as you don't, you know, talk my ear off or, or you know, you know, start sending me links to things. <laughs> I don't hack <want> to <laughs> too many times to want links and being. You know, um, I you know I'm grateful for fans. I'm, it's nice to have fans. Uh, you know, they're and most of most of the ones I've met have been very nice to me. I don't I don't have anybody that was rude to me or you know. Sometimes they just go overboard that they're you know, so they're so happy to talk to you. They're like you know trailing you like a piece of toilet paper on your shoe. You know, uh, <laughs> like uh, you know, hey guy, you know, like I'm you know, or you know, if, if you're having dinner and you know people coming and sitting, they want to you know they want to sit down and you know, come on, man. You know? Oh yeah. You know, but you know, most of the fans they were, and the, the kids were great. The kids were always great, and their moms would bring them up, and you know, they'd come to me and say, "Oh," and then, and I, you know, I'd say, oh, "I'll send you a cell or something." And I'd send them some old cell, and they'd love it. It's That's good, nice. you know. It, uh, it it gives you some some kind of awareness that you're actually doing something that that people like. Yeah, and very few of us get that in life, <laughs> so it's uh, it's all good. Yeah, for we, money information, but <laughs> <laughs> but that was all good in terms of learning the business and working for just a truly great man. Yeah, 
We know recently, well, now, about a year and a half ago, uh, you wrote an episode for Transformers Animated called Predacons Rising with Bob Forward. Was this the first time you had written with him since Beast Wars? Yes. That that happened with Marty. Um, I saw an episode of Transformers Animated, and, and it was amazed because it's totally different. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all of the Transformers. You know? <laughs> It covers all the shows, but they hadn't done much on Beast Wars, and so they right. had one more. They and uh, they had asked us to write for it, and again, I, I said, you know, we're not really a team. Again, we're not a team, you know. But they said we we have we had. They said we have only one episode left, because um, bo- both of us went. You know, we, we figured we get a job down there, and I liked <laughs> it because it was, was humor based. It was humor based. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, and it was kind of for smaller children to like the Transformers, um, and I and the animation, which was like Flash animation, was oddly appealing, you know. And they said we want to do a thing, and and you know, about Larry. Okay, yeah, hold on a minute. Uh... Oh. And my wife just walked in and, uh, and handed. This me. is our last question. We're going to wrap up after this. So this is our very the, the question that you're answering right now is the last one. Okay. Um, what was I saying <laughs> before I was so rudely interrupted? <laughs> it, it was a story about Predacons Rising. They had approached you right. about doing Beast well, Wars they stuff. Said, we want to do this. They said you can do anything you want, and and they said, well, we want to have like like a Beast Wars homage in it. And, of course, they wanted to use Black Arachnia, who was my other favorite character. Right? <laughs> and we're going to... And, we're gonna, and Waspinator. And, and you right. know... Right. It was really the origin of Waspinator. Um, right. So we did that show. I did not actually write a single page of the script. Bob wrote the whole script, but he wrote it very much to a very intricate story I, I, I had done. So I had done the story, and he just took it and put it into script form. And so, but when I was writing, I said, how are we going to end this? You know, I said, okay, they're going to teleport away. And I just said this one, I said, I said, I said, we see silhouettes in the background of like Optimus and, and, you know, Rhinox and stuff like that. I said, and Black Arachnid looks up and and says, you got to be kidding. And they said, great, (laughs) great, (laughs) fantastic. And I saw it and it was, it was good. (laughs) That was the best ending ever. Yeah, we were actually having yes, a conversation. I, mean, I, just, uh, I was going to say I we were having a conversation. Away with that. Oh, uh, who are we yeah. talking to? Um, Derek J. Wyatt, who was the, uh, uh, the the lead designer on that site or the, for that show. We were talking with him about, you know, what did that mean? What does that mean? What, what, what it was? It, <laughs> it, <laughs> he's like, look, you know, don't read too much into it. And it's like, no, seriously, what? How did it, what what happened there? <laughs> you know? But uh, who knows? <laughs> yeah, 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 it sounds like you would be the guy to ask. You know, they yeah. may be on the you know, Black Arachnid may be on the Beast Wars planet. Damn, <laughs> 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 this with time. <laughs> that's 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 so awesome. Uh, all right, so we would like to thank Mr. Dottilio for taking the time to talk with us. It was very enjoyable to talk with you, sir. Um, yeah. 
is there any way that if fans wanted to interact with you, is there any like way that you would allow fans to do so? Do, have you set up a fan page on Facebook separate from I, your personal I have account? I have not set up a fan page on Facebook. Um, and I, I don't really want a place that <laughs> fans can get to me easily because I'm going to be swamped. Okay. Uh, you could, if you wanted it, you could send me a message on Facebook and I don't go there that much. <laughs> so, okay. Um, um, a lot of fans send me messages, uh, and I usually will write them back, but I don't want to start like uh, a thousand messages coming to me that I have to. Right. Right. We understand. Um, uh, you can take your, you can take your chances. <laughs> <laughs> you may you may get a if if you say something interesting you may get a response. <laughs> okay, very cool. So thank you for joining us here on the Geekcast Radio Network. Good luck with your current work. We will ask you to hold the line, and we'll be back with the outro after this. We'll return to the Beast Unleashed podcast after this. just heard an over an hour's worth of questions and answers with us from Larry Dottilio. Wow, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, we had a lot of fun. That was very, very awesome. <laughs> it's like hanging out for a while with Larry and just, you know, hearing his stories. Yep, very, very cool. And, you know, and I, you know, kind of like what we said in the interview, I mean, I grew up watching He-Man. A lot of us grew up watching He-Man. Yep. And, you know, I got a couple of years ago for my birthday, my mom got me all four volume DVD sets at because that's all He-Man is in right now is the, volume, the old uh, entertainment rights volume DVD sets. And I've watched every special feature on there, and, it, you know, it's him talking. I've watched almost every episode with commentary. Most of the times it's him with Lou Scheimer, and it's just amazing. I was I was going to ask him about um, the Masters of the Universe Classics line because they finally did a show-accurate Orko, but we just didn't have time for it. Mm. Um, <laughs> what are you laughing at? No, I, I was reminded that he was talking about the rise and fall of He-Man and how He-Man rose and fell, and I'm, and I'm thinking, he did that in 2002, too. <laughs> kind of like, oh, well, this is going to be a really good series, and then it you know, died on the vine. And you know, right about now, uh, Mattel is laughing all the way to the bank with their collector series. Yeah, well, you know, the thing about the 2002 He-Man was they didn't get picked up for another season, so it didn't really die. They just, I mean, it wasn't, I don't know, it, it, it actually almost really, I like the two series, the Filmation series and the uh, Mike Young, Young production series, which was the 2002 cartoon. 
I like them in their own perspectives because obviously the original series was it's the nostalgia in me. The 2002 series gave the He-Man mythos actual continuity throughout that entire series, whereas the old He-Man shows are basically one-shot stories. Yeah, each episode, and yeah, I, I, I like them both. I love the 2002 series. It's just the toys didn't sell very well, so they had to axe it. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. But no, I mean, being a Transformer collector, I'm not allowed to have two more than one collection, I should say. Well, uh, there is one toy that you got away with, thanks to... Phineas oh, <laughs> and Ferb, yeah. I do have, have Doofenshmirtz still on my desk. So that's awesome. <laughs> so anyway, th- yeah, we're getting way off track here. So, yeah. Um, this has been the interview of Larry Dottilio, and it was a great pleasure to talk to Larry. Um, uh, you know, I wasn't even... you know, And, and, and we got to thank Christy Marks, because really she's the one that, that talked to him about it. Um to even get me his 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 contact info to contact him for the interview. Um, so that's it, and I guess we're out of here.